Welcome back to another episode of That's Business. Today's guest is a perfect example of why you should network on LinkedIn and shoot your shot with individuals. Today we have Matt Quick, who is one of my absolute favorite people. He's huge on LinkedIn. We met through LinkedIn. And funny enough, we actually met, what, two years ago that you uh, came up here, Matt? Two years ago, yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on. I'm so thrilled to have this conversation and let's throw it way back. What did you want to be when you grew up or what were you like as a child? Well, that that is way back, Angela. <laughs> um, but honestly, when I grew up, we didn't grow up with much. We never wanted or needed. So it, it was a good childhood with family and stuff. But what I really wanted to be when I grew up was a basketball player. I wanted to be in the NBA. I idolized uh, you know, Larry Bird from the Boston Celtics, uh, Michael Jordan and a few others. But in the early 90s, I saw John Starks, and he was on my New York Knicks. And this guy was like my height about, and the things he could do, I'm like, you know what? I can do that. So I practiced all the time. I played, you know, I'm not like Will Smith going out in the playground all the time, but we enjoyed going and playing basketball and just having a great time and working on the skills. But what I found out was um, I sucked. <laughs> So I was really good in basketball in middle school, in high school. And at one point, one game, a friend of mine, and my friend and I, we, after 25 years, we reconnected on LinkedIn. He lives an hour from me. So we talk about this now. But one game, there were scouts there for him and I. And I didn't know it before the game. We didn't know this stuff. This is the 90s. We had no idea. But during this particular game, I had an attitude. (laughs) I wasn't the best kid. And I'm not going to blame the middle kid syndrome, but I was a middle kid. I didn't get the attention I probably think I needed or deserved, whatever it was. But I think all that aggression and ego rolled into basketball. I thought I was pretty good. But this particular game, um, again, attitude. And we were both going for a ball out of bounds. And then I took this advantage to not go for the ball but to shove my opponent into the scores table. <laughs> what an absolute stupid move that was. Not because I hurt the kid. I, I hurt him. I got hurt too. I was going to throw out a game, but I didn't know that we were being scouted that game. Oh, no. So when you play basketball, you can be as great as you want as you are. And, but when you talk about character, that ruined an opportunity for me. It did. Once I ruined that opportunity, I changed schools. I changed schools because I was so embarrassed. You know, my, my parents didn't mind because they, they knew I was going to play basketball. You know, I had to find my other route. But that was a huge opportunity for me lost. So to this day, um, I don't play basketball very often. I like watching once in a while, but I don't play very often. But the ego is gone and the attitude is gone. I just don't want to deal with that part of my life anymore. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. I did not know that. So I'm guessing now we're in high school, but when did you decide, what did you want to be? You said, okay, not going to do the basketball thing. You transitioned school. So what was next in store for you? So even though I kind of idolized my older brother, I couldn't stand him. Um, <laughs> it, it's it's weird, right? I love the honesty though. We were two years and two months apart, I think we are growing up. Uh, so we were close our whole lives, but we always fought. It wasn't like a violent thing. We just always fought and, and competed, and and he was always bigger and stronger than, than I was. 
So I would always try to pick fights with him and, and do that. But I, I idolize him, honestly. I'm like, well, he's older than me. He's got everything I, I want ahead of time. One time, and I, I had a, a friend in school. She just moved there, and I had become good friends with her. We lived down the road. She was a, a great person, and we're still friends today. But he started dating her, which is cool. I, I didn't want to date her. So I was happy with that. But I used that to get under his skin. <laughs> this is how much of a kind of a dick I was to him growing up. And her and I went to the prom together once he was in Marine Corps. Not anything weird about it. I just took his girlfriend and my good friend to the prom because we didn't have dates there. So we went together as friends. But before he went to the Marine Corps, I, I was getting under his skin and he threw me through a wall in my <gasps> house. How old were you at the, like 18? I was probably 15 or 16. He was okay. two years older than me, but he was into weightlifting oh. and I'm not. Okay. So he was bigger than me and I made like a perfect human body into the wall. My parents are pretty pissed, but hmm. these are boys growing up together. Right. <laughs> so, okay. So back to it. So I found my passion because, again, I looked up to my brother, and when he joined the Marine Corps, and I think it was uh, in 92, I had changed schools at this time, so I was playing football for a different school, a rival school, and then he shipped off to boot camp, and then he had to go to near Somalia uh, in the 90s. I said, you know what? I'm playing the stupid game that I'm not good at, whether it was football, basketball, or baseball. They were all hobbies. I was good at them, but I wasn't great. That I decided at that time, I'm going to follow him in the Marine Corps, and we'll be stationed together. We'll do things together. We'll have fun down in Camp Lejeune because that's where he was. And that's what I did. So I joined the Marine Corps. I got stationed down in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, with him, probably a mile apart. But he was deployed. I was deployed. We just grew apart. Not apart, but we had different lives. So he got me into the Marine Corps, which really, the Marine Corps was a foundation that I needed in my life. Again, middle kid, wasn't the best attitude, I had an ego, but the Marine Corps taught you in, in boot camp, cocky and confident. Hmm. If you can do those things, you lose an ego because it's not about you. If you're cocky and confident, it's about the organization. That's where I had my... I guess epiphany or turnaround in life that I'm just another person in life trying to do my best. So let's get after it. Which is a huge decision to join the Marines. I mean, it's no light decision. And I know what kind of career you had, but talk to us on your career path. Did you join right at 18? So I was actually 17. My parents didn't sign for me. Oh, wow. Again, they were happy to get rid of me at the time. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I wasn't a great kid, so... <laughs> I was getting in trouble and doing stupid stuff. I even got arrested one time. Ooh, that's a story we'll have to talk about. When you're a kid and you're 17 or 18 and you're running the streets and you're lying to your parents, you're staying with your grandma, there's so many things that kids shouldn't be running the streets for themselves. Yeah. My kids didn't do that, that I knew of. But um, going back there, I, I got in trouble and it was kind of like, hey, if you go down this path, you either go to jail or you go to the military. And back then, I guess I was cool to say, now it's like the front pot. You know, the military wants the best of the best. Back in the 90s, I guess they wanted, well, anybody, because I was joining. 
<laughs> so I got in the Marine Corps and I did my four years and it was a great time. Uh, I made a lot of great memories and friends, but the Marine Corps was downsizing in 96, 97. I was on a ship and being on a ship in the 90s, you had no internet. So I was on a small ship called the USS Austin. The L- Actually, it was the LPD Austin. It was a small ship. And one day I, I said, you know what? I'm going to make the Marine Corps a career. So I went to my, what's called a career planner in the Marine Corps. And he was a big guy. I mean, six foot five, 250 pounds. That's like a linebacker, an NFL linebacker, big dude. And he was in EOD, which is Explosives Ordnance. So he was a big guy and doing a great job. And I said, listen, I want to re-enlist. So he put the request of that day. The next day, I got the request back denied because they were downsizing. There was enough space for me to stay in. They said, you can't stay in anymore. We're, we're called right-sizing the force or downsizing the force. So they said, you can't stay in. So I think my attitude came back again, and I was kind of pissed off that the Marine Corps said I couldn't re-enlist. Okay, cool. Uh, so I took about a day. I talked to my supervisors and I said, I'm going to go and back that you took a helicopter from one ship to another ship to get internet service. So I took a helicopter from one ship to another ship. And when I got to the ship, I emailed the commandant of the Marine Corps in the Pentagon and I did it the wrong way. I vented my frustrations, but I also listed out reasons why I should be able to re-enlist. Top person, top Marine here doing this and stuff. And did my email. It was probably longer than I should have wrote. <laughs> so I flew back that same evening to my ship. The next day, that career planner came to my office. We had a tiny office, a small office on the ship. And he goes, get the fuck out here now. <laughs> and I'm thinking, uh-oh, dude, what is wrong with you? I'm just working here. Right. Didn't know that the commandant's office contacted him mm. or actually my leadership through him to get me to say what I was doing. So I laid it out for him. I said, well, as I was kind of scared shitless, basically, Yeah, I'm like, this guy's going to kill me. So we talked. That was just a, a front he would use. He's a, big, he's a big teddy bear. So he used that to scare me, but it came down to a good conversation. And I didn't understand what the Marine Corps was doing. He did, they did. It was a time in the, in the military where they're downsizing. So they said, okay, you can stay in if you change your job to infantry. At that point, because my brother was infantry and I wasn't doing infantry. Mm-hmm. This guy doesn't do um, infantry stuff. I am not that guy. I am more of a person that likes the air conditioned. I like the warm and the cold. That's a, I, I like that. I'm... I'm not delicate, but I like my leg. You like what you like. It's okay. Yes. So they said, you can be infantry. I'm like, this is what I knew I was getting out of the Marine Corps. So we got back off ship in December of 96. That next week, I went to the Army recruiter and signed up. I said, I'm getting out of the Marine Corps at this date. I'll be joining you the next day. And they made it happen. So now you go into the Army, which... I know all of your... Is it easier life? Yes. Yes. That was going to be my first one. What were kind of the big differences? Because this is something actually I learned 
a few years ago that it is completely different training. I mean, you still go through like basic and everything, but did you have to like redo basic again? Or how does that work? Is like you're a fresh brand new soldier with Army or did you get kind of higher up when you went in? It's a weird thing about the Marine Corps and the Army because, and if you're in the military listening to this right now, you know that you're going to get digged on. The Marine Corps is the premier military service, hands down. Best training, best mentality, best dress blues. There's no question. No other service can mention that theirs is better. However, I went in the Army because the Army, in my opinion, was the second best. <laughs> so I said, yeah, well, I'll go to the second best. I wouldn't go to the Navy because I spent six months on a ship. I didn't like ship life. I wouldn't go in the Air Force because that was, in my opinion, more corporate at the time. I, I didn't understand what it meant. But So I joined the Army. There was no boot camp or no basic training. There was no school because I, I, I was HR in the Marine Corps. Then I went to HR in the Army. So it was, easy, it was a simple transaction. Oh, good. So my first duty assignment uh, was at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. Not behind the bars, not in the prison, but outside of the bars. So I worked in the mailroom. So this is a story I, I enjoy telling because I left the Marine Corps and I was, again, cocky and confident. I get into the Army and they put me in the mailroom. And I was like, don't you know who I am? Excuse me? <laughs> I came from the Marine Corps. <laughs> again, stupid. Just the ego. It wasn't that big of an ego, but I had, I had the cocky and confident demeanor, I guess. Sure. So for the first two months... I didn't wear an army uniform because they had no uniform for me. You think back in there, everyone everyone wore like battle dress uniforms. They're called BDUs. It's all the same pattern. But the Marine Corps is so different. They had a iron-on on their one of their pockets on their coats. It was their logo, their Eagle Globe and Anchor. So I couldn't wear that in the army. So for two months, they couldn't give me a uniform. So I worked in civilian clothes for the first two months in the post office, in the mailroom, by myself. So like, I'm saying, this is the life. I went from an organization in the Marine Corps where everything was a priority to the Army was show up at 8 o'clock and go home whenever. Oh, we love that. And I was only a young E4 at the time. I'm like, you guys trust me this much? Of course, I didn't screw it up, but I could have, though. But that was the difference with the Marine Corps and the Army initially was that mentality was everything's a priority in the Marine Corps to come to work when you want to. This is what I went through my first two months. Um, so I, I found that very challenging for me because I came from structure and I needed structure. And now there was no more structure. It was a lacking structure. One day I even heard, I even watched a young E3 in my office yell at a senior E6. So I jumped in the conversation because I was a leader in the Marine Corps in the HR department. So I was a leader in the Marine Corps and I said, whoa, you can't do that. And I yelled at her for yelling at him. He in turn yells at me oh my God. for yelling at her. I'm like, I'm going back to the mailroom. <laughs> I can't stand you people. <laughs> oh my gosh. So you did your mailroom duty. Now, what did you decide? Because I mean, I'm not, I totally forget how many years you were in, but 25 years, 25, 25 years. Yes. Oh, I was right. Should have said it with confidence. So what, how did your career transition and develop after your, your little mailroom stint you had? What did you do after? And what was that experience like? 
So I, I moved up from HR from the mailroom. So I started the mailroom and moved up to um, different levels. I took a tour in Sarajevo, worked with a four-star general. And then that got me to a position in the Pentagon to work with another four-star general. So I worked in the Pentagon during 9-11, worked at Pentagon during that time. And then after that, um, when that four-star was retiring, I got to choose what I want to do next. Peers were saying, I want to go to Hawaii. I want to go to a MEP station. They're picking their locations. I said, I want to be a career counselor. And I just saw this shiny badge one day in the Pentagon. I'm like, what's that badge? This guy goes, career counselor badge. It's, I'm, I'm an army career counselor. No idea what it was, but it sounded cool to me. So I said, that's what I want to do. So then upon my, the four stars retirement, uh, he sent a letter for me to be a career counselor. I went to school and when you go to school in the military, you should be a sponge. Soak up the knowledge, turn knowledge into a demonstration, and then take a test. That's what it should be, in my opinion. But a little bit of my um, confidence came out in the school. So I said, and this is probably 2003, I said, "How? why doesn't the Army Retention Program have its own website? Because everybody else had a website back in 2003. They said to me, a website is not a priority. Cool. So as I'm doing my schoolwork, I'm building out a website for the Army because I always want to do more. So late nights, early mornings, I'm developing a website through HTML, just code. I'm learning coding and learning the site. I'm building the site in the, Marine, uh, for the, in the Army, and I take it to school to my instructors. I was, look, oh, I'm building a website myself. They said, take it down. <laughs> so they crushed me, right? They crushed my dreams. So then I go back sulking at night. I said, I can't believe they're crushing my dreams. And then I thought, this is a dot-com. They can't tell me shit. So I kept building the website. I didn't tell them about it. I told my classmates, we all use the site together to collaborate on our work without them knowing about it. So I built this platform in 2003 for my classmates, which now it's called armyrealism.com. And now it services over 100,000 people a month because I wasn't going to give up. I didn't care what my, my instructor said. And I, I had to respect them because they had to pass me. Right. I passed the course and I went on to become a pretty decent Army career counselor. And I'm, I rose to the rank of Sergeant Major. And my final assignment was the Army's largest command running that program on a nationwide command in the Army called the U.S. Army Forces Command out of Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And it has three quarters of a million people assigned to it. Wow. So- and as this goes to things I would tell myself when I was younger is sometimes don't take no for an answer. I don't care if you think it's the right thing and it's not unethical, immoral, or illegal. Just do it. Just do it. Because those people had no vision. My opinion had no vision. I had a vision. That vision is still there today. And right now, the Army, almost 20 years later, is finally building an official Army retention site. Hmm. Wonder what they could have done if they started it 20 years ago. So crazy. And they didn't reach out to me for help either. Losers. I've been running for 20 years now. They haven't reached out to me yet for, for help. Oh, it'll be <laughs> down the line. It'll be like, oh, we screwed this up. Please help us. I'm sure. The Army's smart, though. They'll figure it out. They will. So I do, of course, want to talk about your transition because that's a lot of what your LinkedIn posts are and everything like that. But of course, 
What made you decide? I know you said when you were younger, you were going to make a career out of it, everything like that. But what made you decide at the 20, like 25 years you were done? That was a tough one because I wanted to do 30 years. Once you get 20 years, I didn't know what post-military life was going to be like. So I, my plan was to do 30 years. I love it so much. But in 2014, my wife's mom passed away, cancer. It was very sudden. So that was a difficult time for us. And the next few years w- was hard because she lost her mom. And then her dad, which they were together for 30 plus years, he began um, declining in health. It's a love thing. Mm-hmm. Also in 2014, my nephew, my brother's son, was diagnosed with cancer. So it was Ewing sarcoma. You know, he's going through a lot of treatment. So I came down from Fort Drum, New York, near Canada, to come down to Fort Bragg, which was two hours from her brother. And it was 2018. One day I woke up and I, I was working hard. I was doing many different jobs. Just burnout was definitely real, but I didn't know what it was at the time. One day I woke up and I said to my wife, I said, I, I think I'm done. Wow. She's like, are you kidding me? I, I think I'm done. So that day I talked to my boss and they were being very helpful. Can we send you anywhere? Can we do anything for you? We want, we want to keep you in the army still. I said, no, I, I can't give 100% to everybody. So for the first time in my life, I focused on family. And it was probably too late to fix everything, but you can be there now. Start today. You know, Don't look back what you could have done. So from that point on, my focus was what my family wanted. You know, Never moving again. Um, vacations more off and those kind of things. So two months after I woke up, I was done working. I was on leave. It was that fast. Wow. So 25 years, I had to figure it out within, and most people have a year or so to figure out their military transitions. Mine was two months, figured out. What saved me was a mentor. I trusted him. He said, okay, don't think about what I'm going to tell you. Just do it. He gave me three things to do. I did those three things. I went back to him. I said, they're done. He goes, here's three more things. Just do them. Don't question me. Just do it. So I did it. And everything he told me was 100% spot on. And his name is Jeff Stitzel. I worked with him in DC in the Old Guard, and he was kind of a jerk back then to me. We just got to know each other, you know. I was younger than him. He was a a senior leader. Uh, We got along great. But I think when you remove rank from a situation in the military, you can be a person. So he treated me like a person. So he made my life so much easier by saying, do these three things. And it was bite-sized. I wasn't overwhelmed. I just did them and came back because I trusted him. And if you trust somebody, you'll follow him to hell because he's going, I'm going. Right. That's why I'm so big right now in military transition. And it's, it's evolved to career transition now for anybody. But I want to build trust. So if I tell someone to do X, Y, and Z, they'll do it. And they'll come back for more information. That's what, in my opinion, an actual career transition is. I'm not telling you what to do or how to do it. I'll give the resources, do it, and come back. The problem is, Angela, follow-up is terrible. Mm-hmm. Follow-through is terrible. But that may be in our podcast in itself. Oh, that could be a whole other episode. Yes. And it's so true because people are their own worst enemy, I think, in a sense. And we both can say this, too. 
because I see and I one of my favorite things about you is that you're not afraid to call it out or say it. I mean, where my business like really launched was me complaining. If someone would not do what I told them to do, free advice I gave them. And that was one of my first very first six, seven years ago viral LinkedIn posts was explaining that of like, don't sit here and complain that you can't get any traction, whether it's career transition, applying to a job, whatever, when you're not doing the work. Like you have to do a little bit of the work or a lot of the work, honestly, like none of this is easy. I mean, transitioning careers isn't any easy. No. Transitioning out of the Marines first and the Army. And then what do you do now after 25 years that you've done the same thing, which is what I'm going to get into next. But I love that you talk about that because it's 100% true. So at that point, when you transitioned out, what was your transition like? And I didn't realize it was two months that you were like in like done. I did not know that. So I'm curious to hear from your point of view. So I was transitioning for years. I didn't wake up one day and decide to transition. I just knew I was done. But I had been networking for years. I had been paying off debt for years. And listen, in the military... If you're at E6 and below, you don't make good money. You don't. You start making decent money at the E7 level. So when I became an E9 and started majoring in the, in the army, I, I just started paying down debt. I'm like, you know what? Eventually, I have to get out. And I don't want debt to cripple my decisions. I don't want to get a job I don't want. I want to work for something that I'm passionate about. So when I was getting out, my mentor that helped me transition said to me, talk to Mike Quinn, go to his LinkedIn class on Fort Bragg. My first thought was, I have LinkedIn, I'm fine. I got LinkedIn in 2012, I think it was. I was fine, I had it for six years. I never used it though. Right. I never used LinkedIn. So I went to his class and like, this is amazing. This is a powerful platform. I could do so much with this. I can actually talk about things and get people, absolutely professionals, to listen to me if I put it in a way they understand. So I went to Mike's class and I'm like, dude, Mike, this is amazing. And he gets it all the time. Everyone says it. But then we started talking about a few different things after class. And then one day he said, hey, I'm starting a company. I'm like, cool. I have an entrepreneur mindset. I like building things from scratch, figuring things out, that kind of stuff. He goes, I'm going to post some jobs on here. See what you think. So I saw the job post. I called him. I said, hey, man, this is what I do. I said, I've got this retention website that has, drives traffic every month. So I had value to him. He had value to me with starting a business and his LinkedIn training. So for us, we mutually agreed to join forces, if you will, and build this company together, me, him, and, and Chris Thorne. And he had a few mentors that were teaching him too. And we just tried our best. But when it came down to it, I didn't know about business like most people didn't in the non-military world. Chris Dorn was is so amazing at HR, so he understood that realm. But we just built something from scratch. And that was the passion I had for the first two and a half, three years of my post-military career. And I took a job, um, a full-time paying job during a time frame, which was different for me, but it was still fun. But always go back to higher military because that was what I was passionate about. And that was a great experience. So again, I had value through something, a website, a community already. He had value. So for us, it was a mutual value. That's when I first realized I can talk about my experiences. I can open up 
I can be honest and authentic about what I went through. Where Mike talks about his transition was the hardest year of his life, I didn't have that. Mine was very simple, but I understand the complexities of the military transition. I understand how hard it could be or is. So I can be empathetic towards those people that have a tough transition and I can use some inspiring words, hopefully, and inspiring actions to get them through what could be their toughest year of their lives. What made you kind of, because now I know you work for PMI now, but when you did kind of transition careers and then moved again, what was that like now working for PMI and going through now more on the corporate side, because you have had a very unique path post-military. Where did that decision come in and where did you kind of get presented with that opportunity? So PMI, Project Management Institute, it empowers people to make ideas a reality. That's what they do. And through a global advocacy of networking, collaboration, research, and education, PMI prepares organizations and individuals at every stage of their careers to work smarter so they can drive success in a world of change. Last year, before I joined PMI, I had no idea what PMI was. And I tell my bosses this today. And I actually gave a presentation in Vegas at PMI's Global Summit. I gave a talk to, it must have been like 80 or 100 people. And I tell everybody, I had no idea what PMI was last year. And people are like, well, how would you say that? Because it's true. People know what the PMP is, which the Project Professional Certification is the gold standard. It teaches you the actual good way of working to manage projects. And PMI holds that. They develop that thing. It's a global nonprofit for-purpose organization. And that's what their staple is. So I knew the PMP. I know what the PMI was. So a good friend of mine, Corey Burton, she reached out to me. She goes, hey, Matt, have you heard of a PMI? I'm like, no. This was probably back in, I was just let go from uh, the higher military uh, sphere, resources, it was a, a struggle back then with most startups happens. But I was let go, which is following me. She reached out to me. She goes, just have, let's have a conversation. So we talked about it. I did research. I'm like, this sounds like a pretty cool organization. And I love that they're a nonprofit. And when my nephew, Dylan Quick, passed away after I retired, uh, we started a nonprofit in his honor, which still gives back today to his community. So I love the idea of working with a nonprofit or a for-purpose organization. So I learned about it and I went through five rounds of interviews. And some people were like, that's crazy. I met some amazing people in the organization and they were all giving me information as I was going through to be better at interviewing. And then when I got to the, the last round, the gentleman says, this job's not for you. I'm like, wow, thanks for your honesty. Can I ask you why? And he mentioned a few things. I'm like, you're absolutely right. So I didn't get the job I applied for, but my interviews were so well, from what I hear, they found the right role in the company for me. So I reapplied for a different job. They said, let's do it. Let's put you in that, that spot. And now I work side by side with the person that got the job I applied for initially. And now he's teaching me how to be better his job. That's a win-win for me. So again, I didn't know what PMI was in 2021, but I know what it is now. 
And that's why I think from now until th- this, and I, I tell a manager, I said, this is the last job I'll ever have. If I'm here a year, five years, 10 years, this is the last company I will ever work for. I will build my own things. I'll do my own coaching. I don't need to work. I love what I do. I love the mission. So that's why I think this is the last company I'll work for. But I work pretty damn hard for the company though. <laughs> They're letting me and Mary Kay Saliva, who leads PMI's uh, military and veteran program, the MVP, she leads the program and we're building it out. We're becoming the bridge from military to project management. That's incredible. So in one year, we're becoming the bridge. We build this bridge now and people are like, Matt, I know you know project. I, I don't know project management. I just, I have the right people, right resources that are teaching me, elevating me to talk more about it. It's phenomenal. That is incredible. Now, what's in store for the future for PMI, for yourself? Just what do you have going on in the next year? Honestly, I see us building out the military and veteran program, not just in North America or the US, but go to Canada. And there's so many NATO allies that could benefit from a military to project management transition. And not even military, but now I've got two brothers in law enforcement and we talk about lots of things. So I asked about project management and they say we could use that. So now I'm expanding from the military to law enforcement because when people learn what project management is, people want to do project management. Yes. You get to run projects, talk to stakeholders, talk to customers. It is an amazing career. And it pays pretty well too. Uh I have become the project management champion because any kind of military, law enforcement, and now, listen to this, Angela, even teachers are wanting to transition from being teachers to project management. Uh Impact we're making at PMI to just show the value of these trainings they have, the PMP, the CAPM, there's so many things. And then the world of project management, oh my goodness. Every day I wake up, I'm like, I'm excited to go to work. Excited. That's all you can ask. And it's, I love what you're doing because that's very much aligned. And you are right because a lot of people don't understand what project managers are or what it entails. But that is one of the conversations I have often with transitioning teachers as one is like, no, you do have the skills. It's just get this certification and it's solidifying the deal there. But that's incredible. So of course, I love all the work. Anytime I talk to you, it's like you're doing something more badass and more incredible and more impactful than what you've previously done. Because why wouldn't you? I surprise myself sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you could be cocky. We could bring out young cocky Matt again for this because you deserve it at this point. I put him back in the, in the, in the, in the box. <laughs> He's going back. Now, as we wrap this up, what advice do you have for listeners? And that could be broad. It's whatever your heart is feeling right now. What advice do you have for listeners? There's two pieces, Angela. One is don't take no as the end. Figure out a way to get your ask to yes. Whether it's bypassing a gatekeeper, whether it's getting more information to make that decision maker say yes, whatever it is, if you're passionate about something and you truly believe in it, get to a yes. The other thing is, and this drives me absolutely crazy. I talk to people every day and they have these great ideas, these great plans, these phenomenal 
ideas. Start. Just start. You may fail. You may fail horribly. Whatever it is, it's always going to be a failure if you don't start it. So just please, if you have something you want to do, reach out to somebody. There are some people building companies right now that will give their time up to people that want to start business too. Just ask the question, hey, do you have five minutes? Just whatever it is you want to do, just do it. For God's sake, just do it. Do the damn thing. I love that. Ask and you shall receive. Yes. Matt, this has been so much fun. I'm so happy. Thank you. That's a great way to leave this conversation because it's true. Just do the damn thing is what I always like to say. For those of you listening, if you want to follow along Matt's journey, look in our show notes for his LinkedIn profile and all the incredible things he's doing. So thank you again, Matt, for being our guest today. Thank you, Angela. And tune in again next week for another episode of That's Business. If you're looking for a career change and you're not sure where to start, the Resume Rescue can help. Sure, there's no such thing as the perfect fit for everyone, but here at the Resume Rescue, we're on a mission to find the perfect solution for you. Whether it's changing careers, updating a resume, learning LinkedIn, or practicing interviewing, we have you covered. Find us online at theresumerescue.com and find all of our contact info in our show notes.